This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome, I'm Peter White. This week, as the darkness has kicked in, broadcasters decided to shine a light on a number of important issues, such as diversity with Sky, the BBC tendering process, and Channel 5's move to become a classier broadcaster. We speak to Bruce Gilmer, the exec producer of this year's MTV European Music Awards, and we talk about the current state of music on television. We highlight the current commissioning trends after our own broadcast commissioning forum yesterday. And finally, we have previews of two of the year's most anticipated series, Planet Earth 2 and Netflix, The Crown. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me at Maple Street Studios, Lemonade Money Managing Director Faraz Osman, Pretzel TV boss Steve Wynn, and Broadcast Editor Chris Curtis. Morning, chaps. Morning, Hi, Pete. Peter. Right, Peter. How are we all? I'm all right, yeah. I'm all good. Just uh, recovering. We had a little party yesterday, a little soiree, which is always fun. So no, I saw lots of people we work with. Did you not? It's because you weren't invited. Oh. Um, <laughs> Standard. Unless you can commission us, mate. You ain't getting invited. Steve? What? I well, didn't have a party last night. No, okay. Um, and I didn't invite anyone. No, fair enough. Chris, uh, fresh from the uh, broadcast commissioning forum. You're not really a party, um, but uh, quite a decent event for us yesterday. Lots of people there, lots of big name controllers and, and commissioners uh, spilling their guts about their strategies and what they're, uh, what they're looking for, so that was good. Absolutely, lovely. Well, we'll touch on that later. First this week, Sky revealed its performance for the first time since it introduced tough BAME targets in 2014. Uh, two years ago, Sky said new entertainment programmes would deliver 20% BAME representation on screen and in writing teams and at least one senior BAME exec per production. Speaking at a diversity and broadcasting event, uh, Jeremy Darrick revealed that in drama, it hit its targets close to at least 85% of its shows hit the on-screen target, with 91% hitting the writing target. However, it struggled in comedy and non-scripted. 100% of its comedies had achieved the writing goal, but only 14% hit the on-screen target. And similarly, in non-scripted, only 40% of its shows hit the on-screen target. Um, what do we think of this? Is this, uh, you know, they, it's great of them to have, uh, have put out these figures, but um, but that doesn't necessarily uh, seem it's all rosy over there. I'm terrified of the tough BAME target. Am I a tough BAME target? <laughs> They're chasing me down the street and like trying to gun me down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just lots of percentages and figures. I think that the thing is that what I was interested in reading this article is that it's not linked to the amount of commission they've done in each different department. And I think it's it's very, you know, Sky doesn't commission a huge amount of original content compared to some of their other competitors. They obviously get a lot of acquisitions in. And, you know, obviously if they have one big drama and they have lots of ethnic faces in that, then the percentages shoot up. And, you know, they've done a lot of comedy and entertainment stuff recently and non-scripted stuff recently. And, and those figures have gone down. So it's very difficult to kind of cut through these figures and actually see what's going on and what's happening. I mean, it's great. They've still kept it on the agenda. I think they made a lot of noise when they announced it a couple of years ago. And it's brilliant that people have kind of held their feet to the fire about it. Um, but it's I do, as I've kind of said back then, and I kind of say now, I, I always wonder if it's a little bit too little too late. I think that a lot of people that are the most um, exciting new talent in from, from different diverse backgrounds are getting to make their own stuff online and getting to work with different partners along the way. And, and you know, this is a bit maybe a bit of a plaster over a wound that's already scabbed over. That's a good analogy. I might write that down. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> Steve, what do you make of this? Do gingers count? <laughs> I'm not sure, no. We well, all count. Okay, thanks. I, no. I, I, you know, I think it's really brave. First of all, it's amazing that Sky are doing it rather than another one of many broadcasters that could have put their oar in. And I think 20% is really ambitious, really ambitious. I mean, they're just, we struggle. We really struggle to find new, exciting talent that really want to do it um, from the BAME um, 
aspect of society. And and I think for Sky to have hit, you know, almost 100% for the drama is pretty impressive. I think it's much more difficult than comedy and script. And as you say, I think there's a lot of sort of youngsters nowadays who just don't need traditional broadcasting. Um, and I think, but it's going to take a generation. This is not going to be, this is 2014 they announced it. It's only been two years. It's going to take a long time for it to feed through. You make an unscripted show, and that's where they seem to have struggled the most. Why is it more of a challenge in, in that area? Because if you're, you know, it's difficult. If you're, if you're in London and you're trying to find sort of new either production talent or on-screen talent, you've got to be rich and usually white and middle class and with parents who can fund your living in London. Because when you're paying not very much money at all for certainly sort of the entry-level positions, it's um, it's really, really difficult. Really difficult. We've never struggled with it, and we've always been a little bit confused about the situation. We've got a number of black directors. We've got our head of production, uh, Jess Wright. She's from Bristol, so we've got people that have worked in different regions. We've had people that have come from different places to come down. And and, and I think that, you know, our, I think our office, I'd like to say, I haven't done the counting, but we're kind of, I would argue that we're 50-50 male-female split, and we've never really done any initiatives. We've never had to do anything. What I do think, though, is... We are making content that is for a younger audience. And and the result of that is that people are attracted to work with us because they see what it is that we do and go, I want to make that sort of stuff. That's That looks quite cool. And I think that we're particularly with things like the BBC and I think less so Sky and ITV, but certainly, certainly some broadcasters, because they're not making content that a diverse audience watch, people haven't got aspirations. When I was growing up, I wanted to work for Channel 4. I saw the word. I was really excited about it. MTV had just started. That was so exciting. I wanted to work for them. Now kids want to work for Facebook. I say, sorry, kids. Now people want to... like, But the new generation of creatives is what I'm getting at. They want to work for Facebook. They want to work for Google. They want to work for Netflix. They want to work for all of these new exciting brands that are making content that represents and serves them. We make a lot of music content, a lot of music videos, a lot of stuff that is saying something that's positive about young people. And I don't think it's any surprise that they come to us and we actually want to work with them because they're the best talent to make that sort of content. Uh, Chris, should we applaud Sky for revealing these targets? I think we should potentially applaud Sky for setting targets like this in the first place. And um, without uh, wishing to terrify Faraz, uh, the, the tough, tough targets, tough BAME targets. I mean, it's quite easy for a broadcaster um, and any organisation to set itself targets that it is comfortable and confident of achieving so that then it can pat itself on the back and say, haven't we made great strides? Now, when Sky put these targets out, there was a, sort, a bit of a sort of gasp and people thought, blimey, that's going to be difficult. And you know what? It hasn't been easy for them to achieve it. I can sort of the. I think the arguably there's two things: there's on screen and off screen. Um, if they can achieve on screen or get close to achieving on screen in drama, it's not as obvious to me why they can't do that in comedy. If we're talking about scripted comedy, um, I think if you think about it on a show by show basis, though, you can understand some of the difficulties. Um, Sky One, League of Their Own, massively successful show. A lot of that is to do with the chemistry of the 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 four. I think it is um, continual uh, returning team captains and hosts and figures like that. Um, they're all white uh, white guys. It, it, it's been on the air for, for a number of years. So why why would you sort of break that up? It's hard. To, now, the if you wanted to make that its target, I think you would have to sort of be making sure that each episode. I don't know how many guests that were. There would be what four four guests each episode. That you'd probably need to have two or three of those each episode. Um, uh, coming from a non-white background, well, that could happen, but you can see that that probably is 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 a challenge. Without getting too granular, as I fear I just did, I would say 
well done, Sky. Tough targets. Well done for sticking your head above the parapet and saying, Definitely. here's what we've done and here's what we haven't done. Um, but still, for those guys and for almost everyone in the industry, a m- massive work still to go. And Project Diamond's launched. Have you guys filled in, uh, filled in your forms yet? Filled in the form. I don't know what happens next. But, I mean, doing everything we can. And, and, and the, the BAME thing's one thing. I mean, you know, all of my team are Scottish for, for whatever reason. They're actually not from London, and they're all almost all female as well. But the BAME thing is, uh, we do we have found that sort of... You need to have a word with Faraz. And yeah, we need I, to... Honestly, gen- steal some genu- words, genuinely, I, don't, I genuinely no. don't get it. Like, honestly, I, I think that we've, we've worked with so many people that are not... You know, and then they're not from stereotypical council state BAME backgrounds or like, you know, they're from Bradford or this, that, and the other. They're just people. Just people. They just happen to be ethnic minorities. And I'm and, and I feel like I'm one of those people. And I think what I would say about the quotas and what you're mentioning about League of Their Own and, and all those sort of things, universally from everybody that I've spoken to, the biggest issue that people have now is that this goes the other way. And suddenly you see two faces on League of Their Own that aren't funny or aren't very good. And you can just tell that they're there because they've been plonked there because there's an article that's going to be in broadcast in a couple of weeks and they need to make sure that the percentages are up mm-hmm. no one wants that like no one wants that it's not good for audiences it's not good for diverse talent and i think that when you look at what people like what damien's doing at bbc3 with people just do nothing and asian provocateur those are good strong shows that people watch because they're entertaining the fact that they've got diverse backgrounds is great because it represents more people and and that's the way it should work well next up bbc tenders uh, full details for the first three shows on offer, Holby City, Songs of Praise and A Question of Sport, have been released. A three-year, 150-episode run of Holby City is up for grabs at around 350000 an episode. A 12 million Songs of Praise gig and a £4 million opportunity to refresh the Question of Sport format is uh, is available. Guys, uh, are you interested in this? It was Pretzel going to be looking at Songs of Praise? Songs of pra- Wouldn't it be great if Bane was um, applied to Songs of Praise? We did talk about that. What happens if Lemonade Money makes Songs of Praise? Oh, like, how, you, what what you, does that end up at? And here's the like? thing. That's what I'd love to happen. It's not going to happen, but it's going to be... Why not? It could do. There's no way. I mean, first of all, the deadlines are in literally a few days' time. So I don't know how long the, the tenders have been out, but not that long. So unless you're already geared up and know that these things were coming down the line. So if you're... You know, one of the one of the very few I would have thought um, producers that could make songs of praise. Same with question of sport. You know, you sort of know who that's going to go to because they're already in position to do it. And it'd be a very brave BBC to turn around and go, "Let's give it to Pretzel Lemonade Money." It'd be amazing. I'd look. Oh my god, can you imagine that? But I'd love no, it to I be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of. But I wouldn't want to make, make songs of praise. praise. I would want to make something right. new. I would want to make. You know, I, I think old, that's that's and, the thing about these tenders is that they're very established legacy formats that, that they want format cross-platform innovativeness on songs of praise that's gonna be interesting isn't it <laughs> lyric hymn sheets on the red button <laughs> <laughs> that's well that's literally what it's gonna be and there's an issue with uh, with staff and um, 2p uh, is something that i never thought we'd write so much about at broadcast chris uh 2p yes uh, everyone's favorite acronym um it's still not very clear whether 2p will be applied to all some none of these shows essentially these saying shows. that that you need to take over the staff that are currently making the show. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. I mean, 2P normally applies to um, acquisitions when, when companies are bought and sold. If company X buys company Y, then they're sort of obliged to employ those staff on the same terms as they, they already uh, enjoy. And it's it's kind of applying that to production contracts um, for, um, uh, for, for staff. Certainly the uh, legal advice that broadcasters sought <laughs> suggests that Holby, it would be very likely, you know, you've got a lot of staff um, who work purely on that show 
and uh, the tender document makes a big point of continuity. Uh, perversely, we're talking about refreshing and reinvigorating these shows. The documents sort of encourage that a little bit, but they equally encourage, they say they want to maintain X, Y and Z criteria and, and, and qualities of these. Is it all a ploy for BBC Studios to, to keep hold of these shows? Uh, you cynic, Peter. Uh, I don't think it's a ploy to do that. I Honestly, there's part of me that thinks the Beeb isn't sure whether Toopy's going to apply. But I do think, being being honest, I think that to put in those documents, which came, you know, which have a very tight turnaround deadline, very tight. to put in there a line that effectively says Toopy may or may not apply, and the best bet we suggest in these is that you seek some legal advice, I think there's a danger that Beeb's already making it very, very difficult for relatively small, relatively under-resourced indies compared to the big super groups to bid for these things because of the amount of work and time and effort you need to do in a short period and the fact that you've got to go and seek legal advice. And the big groups aren't that bothered because they can't keep any rights. Yeah, it will be really, really interesting to see what the appetite is. And I don't know whether the B will make it clear precisely how many bids they had for each of these shows. Hopefully we'll push them and see what level of transparency we can get. I suspect, actually, that you could, if, you, if we had a list here now of all the BBC in-house returning formats, we could go through and sort of say which ones people would be you know, if Strictly, if and when Strictly comes up for grabs, people will be putting their hand up for Strictly. Songs of praise, less so. You'd be interested in Strictly, wouldn't you, Steve? I'd love to do Strictly. I think there's a lot to do with Strictly. Would that come up? Would they, would they put yeah. that out to ten? Uh, eventually it will, if, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That would be, well, yes. Count me in. Good. Okay. <laughs> and my Foxtrot. Uh, and finally, some news from uh, yesterday's Broadcast Commissioning Forum. Um, Channel 5 announced three new commissions, stepping up its factual commissioning slate. Um, it ordered a court documentary series, Accused, a George Lamb-fronted uh, factual format called In Solitary, and an obdoc uh, called Secrets of the National Trust, the first time that the uh, the charity has opened its doors to uh, to Channel 5. Um, Chris, does this sort of... Send, is there a, a, a step change for Channel 5 with some of these commissions? It comes after after um, a pretty sizable um, show from the children of the frontline makers last week. Are we actually seeing Ben Farrell change the change the makeup of the channel a bit finally? Oh, he's certainly trying to. He's certainly trying to. I think Channel 5's always had that, not always, in particularly in recent times, it's had that slight tension between those returners uh, that do great business for it, which are in a, in a more traditional Channel 5 space and the more aspirational stuff that, that, that Ben wants to order. And he was quite open about that, the fact that, you know, they're really pleased they've got can't pay, uh, doing pretty much close to two million most apps these days. Um, and police interceptors filling up a lot of hours, and that gives them more freedom to play around at, at, at 10 o'clock. These are ambitious things. There's an awful lot of factual crime around at the moment and a lot more to come. So I watched quite a few clips at the commissioning forum yesterday, um, and uh, there were an awful lot of docs about, you know, catching killers and individual cases uh, the, uh, the, the, being fair the Channel 5 clip looked really interesting it was a, it was all shot from the perspective of, of uh, a young woman it looked to be who'd um, been accused of um, slightly uh, unpleasant what do you make uh, of Channel 5 Steve is this, uh, this going to make a difference would you, would you pitch stuff to Channel 5 I do pitch stuff to Channel 5 I think it's good that they continue to try and commission stuff that's a little bit out of their comfort zone I think the National Trust thing is interesting because I think we've seen that a million times before but National Trust on Channel 5. Joan Bakewell on uh, on Channel 5. Always as, good to see as, Joan on Channel 5. As Ben said uh, the first time, uh, it, Thinking Man's Crumpet will be on uh, on the network. Does she watch Channel 5, Joan Bakewell? Does she watch a lot of Channel 5? 
Anyway. You, you and George Lamb. George Lamb's back. George Lamb. Hooray! Oh. Miss George Lamb. Have you? No. No. Um, but I think it's great that they're doing... And one-offs, which is good as well. So, you know, it's not just a sort of, you know, pilot high, sell them cheap um, series. Um, pilot high, sell it high sounds like a... a, a, a <laughs> Spin-off of one. Carpe Tom 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 away. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pitch that tomorrow. Um, I think it's good that they're doing stuff like this. I don't think it's necessarily superly ambitious, as they call it, but they've got to sort of put the spin on it. But, um, I, but I think it's good. I, I don't think it's... Um, all those those all those shows, I think, are solid shows that I think will do pretty well for them. Do you think it's ambitious for us? Yeah, I mean, I think, like Chris mentioned, what Channel 5 have been doing in daytime has, has been pretty successful when you compare it to other channels that are struggling to to kind of cut through in that space now those guys are are coming up with formats that allow them to to steady the schedule at, at that point and and kind of experiment at the, at the fringes i mean that sounds like an, another channel that we've had around for a little while so i think that we've we've got a an interesting channel which previously was if I'm honest, kind of looked sneered at by by some production companies and even some audiences as a bit of a kind of this is this is a throwaway. It's not really something that we watch and take seriously. And and now they're kind of punching not even above their weight. They're they're doing what they should be doing as as a fifth terrestrial channel, which I still think holds value. And and I think that in addition to that, the the whole deal with Viacom feels like it's coming together. You feel like you sense a a cross pollination between what they're doing on MTV and what they're doing on Channel Five that hopefully will engage in a new set of audiences. And and I think that they're a really interesting channel. I'm I'm looking forward to chatting to them soon about some ideas that we've got because I think that they're a they're a viable customer of ours and they they think they think that they could put together some some really compelling documentaries. I've actually spoken to a few friends that have been presenting stuff and fronting stuff for that channel um, from diverse young backgrounds and and I think people are really seeing that as a home to, to cut through new voices as we've seen the closure of BBC Three on television. I think they're seeing actually Channel Five is is their new home, which I think is really exciting. Good, sounds good for for Ben and the team. Uh, that's your news. Thanks to Faraz, Steve, and Chris. Talking about music on television, my colleague Miranda Blaisby caught up with Bruce Gilmer, who is exec producer of this year's MTV European Music Awards. We've got an amazing event this year, more performances than ever. One of the unique aspects of the EMA is we travel to different cities around Europe each year. Each year is a different host city, so we're thrilled to be here in Rotterdam. Actually, we're just uh, just gotten into town this morning. You can imagine just bringing in talent you know, from around the world to, to a market that's not, let's say, you know, the UK or New York or Los Angeles is, is, is quite a challenge. You know, we've got in excess of, of 300, sometimes 350 people who, who arrive into town that, that represent just the artists who are performing. And then we have presenters and nominees in the music industry and a variety of others. So just the exercise of getting people to town and coordinating schedules and putting together a lineup that accurately reflects, you know, the year in music is a big challenge. That was Bruce Gilmer telling us what's in store for this year's MTV Awards. While we've got you in the studio, guys, you both make music television shows. Uh, what's the current state of, of music on TV? So we, we obviously make a lot of music programming. It's kind of the bread and butter of, of what we do. It's what the company started doing and, and it's what we're most proud of. Um, kind of like I said earlier, it's, it's great for us because it attracts young audiences and I think music is one of those universalities that that people get excited about as they're growing up and I think it's it's 
it's so important to represent it properly on screen. And I, I think it is a bit of a shame. You know, we've made some jokes about Songs of Praise earlier, later with Jules Holland. It's another one of these things that's just been going on forever and ever and ever. I was speaking to some pluggers the other day who said that now the most important show for them to get their acts on is the Graham Norton show. And and that's that, that to me seems madness. It's, you know, if that's if that's our representation of, of what is one of our biggest cultural exports in this country, that it has to appear at the end but during a credits role of, of a, a talk show, that, that feels quite sad to me. And, and we've been attempting to, to really stick our neck out creatively to, to represent young Britain via, via what they're doing in music. And, and, you know, we won a broadcast award for it. And, and we're really incredibly Before to proud. the floor. Before to the floor, yeah. And we're really incredibly proud of the work that we're doing there. We're also working with other partners, in, including Red Bull. And, and I think that it's... And, and we do a lot of work for Vivo, which obviously is, has been a disruptor in that market. Because, you know, if you, you, you have got a choice about do you want to watch what was then Top of the Pops and was a fairly cheap performance, or do you want to watch a multi-million pound glossy music video online on, on demand at any time? And, and you know, that is a, that is a dilemma for, for TV commissioners. Should you Channel 4 be, be taking the risk and putting four to the floor on it, you know, in a prime time? Well, I'd obviously, I'd obviously say yes to that. I mean, this is... <laughs> yes. But why aren't they? But, well, I think why they're not. And, and, I, and I think that... And James and I, you know, my business partner James and I, James execs four to the floor, we've had lots of conversations about this. And, and we kind of change our mind about it almost every day. I think four to the floor does really well as as a late night zoo tv program and actually being in that slot fit makes it feel more edgy and risky and exciting um so there is value in in making sure that the fringes of of the schedule are pushing the boundaries in that way which is what what we're allowed to do with four to the floor um and i think that if you start putting things in prime time you have to make compromises for for a more mainstream audience and um and then it kind of changes the whole spirit of what what four to the floor is channel four attempted to do some and actually this it's where Forted Floor was originally born. It attempted to do some pilots in, in music television um, actually when, when I was working there and, and they were less successful than they could be, let's say. Um, and, and I think a lot of it is because there's a there's a nervousness about going, well, this is entertainment as opposed to this is art. And, that, you know, they, music is both of those things. And it also is one of the things that it gets most heavily criticised as well. People are very, very passionate about it. I mean, you're very passionate about music. You know, you've done a lot of work in music, away, you know, pers- from what I understand, in your private life, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's personal to you. It's, yeah. it's so important to who you are and what you do. And, and so people have got such a strong opinion about it. They don't have as strong opinion about cakes. You know, they watch it and they go, oh, yeah, I like bacon, I like eating cakes, and, and that's it. So, so those shows kind of can cut through in a, in a way that leads to less criticism. I think it's, it's a really interesting space. One thing I think has been particularly interesting for us, and, and I think the same is true for, for you guys, is we've been doing a lot of video work for radio stations. Right. And, and that's been a massive customer for us. Yeah, and, and, and for us as well. I mean, I, I think it's really lazy for commissioners to turn around and go that music television doesn't work. You know, this programming doesn't work. It's the, it, I think it's much more accurate to say there's a lot of music programs that have gone on that have been just crap and haven't worked, and therefore, well, we shouldn't touch that again. But it's an, it's an odd thing. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It's a very personal thing. People are very passionate about it. But it's an odd sort of jump then to go, right, we shouldn't do any of it at all, because we really don't have very much music programming at all in the UK, and it is a massive um, export for us culturally. And I think that there is a huge appetite, I think, still. Um, just because you can get a glossy music video online at any time doesn't mean to say, I don't want to see my favourite artist doing something different or something more creative or something I haven't seen them do before than just sitting on a talk show panel. Was, um, it, was it tough to get the chart show commissioned? 
I think there was an appetite for it already. There was a, there was a, there was a, you know, Radio One were keen to bring their um, age down. Um, CBBC wanted to sort of bridge that gap between viewers going off elsewhere and 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 not going perhaps listening to Radio One. So there's already a sort of nice duo going on there, and they wanted to have that synergy. What else would you like to see on TV then? In that I, sense? you know, I, you know, having done CD UK back in the day, I, I think it's a shame. It doesn't have to be crappy performances like you know we. Not that CDK had that or Top of the Pops, although you know the '80s stuff was a bit sort of cruddy. And when I watched Top of the Pops too, I just I cringe because it was it wasn't great and miming sort of that that wasn't a brilliant piece of television. But there's a really good way to to bring music to the masses. And I think it's, there's, it's a massive shame to me, and I think it's a huge error um, not to have a mainstream music show on prime time in in the UK right now. It does feel like it's that subject area that falls again you know going back to the BBC it feels like that subject area that falls between the cracks of who does what in this space and you know we've had lots of conversations about do we take this to Radio 1 is it a BBC 3 thing is it a C you know we've just done the Teen Awards for Radio 1 which you know is filling out a stadium full of um, audiences that, that the BBC desperately desperately need 14 to 17 year olds who are you know are don't don't particularly index very well with BBC content it's it's that kind of black hole for the BBC of of um of, of audiences that they need to engage to make sure that the that, that it continues to evolve as 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 a media organisation and and having a black hole where fourteen seventeen year old people aren't watching any of their content because CBBC ends and BBC Three doesn't start for them until later on means that this needs to be sorted and we get commissioned to do show and it's 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 incredibly exciting we fill out you know they they go guys fill out a stadium at Wembley Arena we have exclusives from from the biggest artists in the world and and. Then you get CBBC call you up and say, well, we want to do a show associated with it. And, and suddenly it becomes a big thing. It gets on the front page of iPlayer and everyone puts their attention to it. And that's and, the problem, though, isn't it? You've got all these different silos to a certain extent, all these different brands fighting over the same content. It's like, I don't think, and especially 14 centuries, don't care whether it's Radio 1 or CBBC or 3. Absolutely. It's a piece of content that I need to find somewhere. But I think the channels are still sort of fighting over, well, that's that's our bit, and that's the bit that we do. That's our remit. It's like, it doesn't matter to the audience. No one cares about that. To me, it just feels like telly, wrongly, has just given up. It feels like everyone said, oh, the music industry, that's gone online. The, the, online is where music is consumed. Online mm. is where music is, you know, where videos are watched. And telly just feels a bit like, oh, the, you know, those those kids are online we, and we can't get to them. That's what it feels like. Because if it, if, if if that's not the case, then where's where are the attempts to, to reach those? Well, Carol infamously it. said a few years back that Top of Pots would never come back unless it was shared between a number of countries. <laughs> Another sort of piece of global domination for him. Because the biggest music show, of course, Eurovision. in the UK is The X Factor. Mm-hmm. No. Well, it's Eurovision, isn't it? I, th- I thought that Euro- Eurovision, cast, you know, is well. I guess it's the biggest show in, in Europe. It's certainly the biggest show in music show in the world. I think you're right. I think it is one of those things that if you can share across cross demographics, it becomes a massive thing. But I, I don't think. I mean, I'd be surprised if you think that apart from the one performance they do on a Sunday night, if you think that X Factor is a music show, because well, I think to a lot of the audience that, that is, you know, and it's going to be they're going to be Christmas number one. You look at the charts at the moment. You know, there's a huge sort of you know a huge swathe of certainly pop music are all from X Factor, mm. whether here or in the US. I mean, that is where music is is coming from right now. Well, you he, can't ignore that. Well, here's hoping we can find an alternative. It is important to say that there, there is stuff out there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And it's it's important that if we're going to, if this is going to push forward, we need to shout about the great stuff out there. Obviously, you know, I would kind of hold, fly the flag before to the floor. But, you know, the BBC Two did an incredible piece with Kate Tempest for, I think, an hour and a half in primetime television where she's doing contemporary experimental music on her own with an audience. It's not trying to be, there was no kind of explaining, you know, what it is or what's going on. You know, we've 
seen the, the Hacienda Orchestra and, and what you know, there's lots of amazing BBC4 documentaries around music. There is stuff out there. There's no doubt about that. It is a difficult thing to commission and get right. But obviously, I think we're all sitting around this table saying we would like to see more of it. The, the one thing that is a challenge across all of this, and I think going back to your Simon Cowell point, is rights. And we spoke earlier about how big indies, you know, they, they kind of are, are, are walking away from from these tenders because they're not getting the rights off the back of it. One of the struggles that we've had being an indie making music programming is that the secondary rights are almost non-existent because we're making content that's owned by other people as musicians and and that makes it problematic as as a business model. Previews time now. Back with me are Faraz, Steve and Chris. First up, Netflix first original UK drama, The Crown, the £100 million royal thriller produced by Left Bank Pictures and created by Peter Morgan, tells the story of Queen Elizabeth II. Sir, ice front. <coughs> Do you know? There was a young lady named Sally who enjoyed the occasional dally. She sat on the lap of a well endowed chap. And cried, sir, you're right up my alley. (laughs) Right. There was an old Countess of Bray. And you may think it odd when I say that despite her high station, rank and education... Your Majesty. She always spelled with a K. <laughs> Shall we? Um, you can't miss it this week, uh, Chris. It's uh, it's pretty much uh, on the side of every bus. It's on the side of every bus. It's on the front pages of papers. Um, it is a really good example of uh, for Netflix the incredible marketing. They, they spend a lot of money on these things, hundred million quid. But is it any good? Uh, yeah, it's good. So without being too simple about it it turns out that if you get a really good production company and a really good writer and a load of really good actors and a shitload of money uh, that you get quite good programming I mean I'm, I'm being slightly facetious but it was really nice I watched the first two eps at screening it's really nice to watch something that wasn't that was felt high end and felt interesting and and, and, and and it did actually feel a bit distinctive it, it wasn't it wasn't period telly by numbers um, and um, uh, it was uh, great. You sound surprised at that. Uh, I don't know if I was surprised but you think, you know, there's a lot of period drama on telly and um, I'm not saying that this couldn't or wouldn't have been done by the BBC or ITV or Sky or whatever but it felt uh, it felt fresh and it felt interesting and from the very first scene it sort of slightly shakes you out of your preconceptions I would say. I didn't see it as a period drama. Mm. I just thought it was a really good piece of telly, just a really engaging piece of content with, as you say, brilliant actors and and a different way to tell the story. I think it it, it's, it is what Netflix do really well. Those tent poles, sort of. Here's why you need to subscribe and pay us seven pounds, eight pounds a month because we've got this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, by the time you sort of watched it, your kids have got hold of the rest of Netflix content, and you'll never ever be able to leave it again, which is what's happened in our household. Um, but it's another house of cards. It's another great series i'm delighted that it's made by a british company with an entirely almost entirely british team mm-hmm. and, and netflix didn't go to the americans and go well could you do this for us because you know we we know about the queen right i mean 
we know all about it. So it's it's brilliant that Left Bank have got this, and I'm delighted for them. And, and if that's the budget, I mean, you'd like to think they would be able to do something amazing for that sort of amount of money. And I think they have, but I do think they've they've sort of totally spunked it on the screen. I think you sort of you know where that money's gone to, and it's it's perfectly crafted. It's really well done. For us, I'm not a huge fan of period dramas. It's not my cup of tea. You know, if somebody asks me to watch something, there's there are things that you really enjoy, and this is one of those things. It's obviously an amazing period drama. And I enjoyed watching every minute of it. And I think that that's, that's kind of the testament of what Netflix does when it does its does it really well there are things on Netflix that are for me Stranger Things Black Mirror um, House of Cards you know these, these are these are programming that I are appointment to view for me and, and I get really excited when a new series comes out and, and this isn't one of those things for me I haven't been kind of going oh my god I can't wait till that big thing on the side of a bus comes on Netflix so it's I can, not dark can watch enough it. for you well, it's not even that it's not dark enough for me I just don't think that it's it's targeted at me it's not aimed at me and that for me is a really really good thing it's the sort of thing without being um, you know, without being based about it, it's the sort of thing that my parents are going to really enjoy. And actually, that's the market that they need to go for. Now, they've got me and they, they serve me with lots of content. And I think what Netflix are doing incredibly well is going, right, let's give you one thing that we know that you're going to love. And there are lots of things on Netflix that I don't love. And actually, kind of, I mentioned the rest of development earlier. The latest season of Less Development wasn't great, but there are things on Netflix that I genuinely love. And, and this is going to be one of the things that for audiences, they're going to genuinely love. And I think that's, that's really exciting. They're going after that daily, do you daily think telegraph. They, do you think route. they're going to get the telegraph? Readers? I think they might. I'm considering cancelling my Sky subscription because I'm getting to the stage that, although I'd miss Atlantic, I could probably find it elsewhere. I could probably sort of the things that I really, really want to watch because I have got on-demand stuff that, you know, Netflix and Amazon, that I'm just not sort of watching that, that linear television stuff anymore. My wife will kill me because she needs it for work, but... You know, it is getting to that stage. It's, you know, it's all racking up. And I think Netflix are now sort of at a position, as you say, there's something for everyone on there. And you can then find other things as well. And it's starting to make sense in terms of paying that much money for it, too. Are they going to reach Middle England, Chris? Uh, I suspect. Look, I mean, they've got three million subscribers in the UK already. So uh, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a chunk of uh, uh, of Middle England there. Um, I think, you know, we did some work around Netflix subs and I think they they index is a bit older than you think. I think it's sort of uh, if you painted a picture of the average Netflix subscriber, I think they're a young couple with with kids, basically, who probably are staying in more. And, and they're, they're, they are actually as well often sky or um subscribers to other pay tv content it's people who are sort of want to be super served by content this is just netflix where it works it you know that they, they put that budget together they will have done their sums there are lots of things where netflix spends money on on uh, previously spent money on back catalog stuff and there's still a lot of of sort of long tail not terribly exciting content on there, but they are edging towards uh, you know more origination, and this is one of those, as Steve said, one of those absolute temp poles. I'm sure that they will attract new subscribers because it's, of it. It's about recommendation, right? And it's it goes back to what I was saying about my mum, my mum and dad. I never have gone to them. You need to go to get a subscription to Netflix mm. so you can watch Black Mirror. They're not going to enjoy Black Mirror. This for for the first time, I can now speak to my mum and dad and kind of go, you know what? You should consider getting a subscription to Netflix because mm. the Crown is really good, and I know it's going to be something that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's re- as a business model, that's incredibly interesting. And the tech's a lot right. easier now as well. I think a lot of people to put off, go, well, how do I get it? Where does yes. it come from? Well, you've got DVD players now that have a Netflix button on it. I mean, it's really you know smart TVs have a Netflix sort of little App symbol in, yeah. rather than before. It's like you've got to go on here. It's like sod that. Next up, Planet Earth. 
It's been 10 years, but uh, David Attenborough is back. It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years. Wow. And he's back with more animals. In the first episode, uh, (laughs) a sweeping orchestral score and his own usual dulcet tones, Attenborough introduces us to the Komodo dragon. and weighing an impressive 150 pounds. These are the largest living lizards on the planet. It's unusual to find large predators on islands. Yet, for four million years, the Komodo dragon has dominated here. And that Komodo dragon is being chased pretty ferociously by uh, by a herd of snakes uh, in this first episode, uh, Faraz. That's amazing. And it is a bit that everyone's going to talk about, because it's... It is just incredibly compulsive viewing. I think the 10-year thing that you mentioned earlier is fascinating, because... One of the things that I think happened when Planet Earth came about is is how do they do that? It's incredibly, incredibly well shot and people get so excited about it. I do think they've gone the other way. I'm not a huge fan of the kind of addendum at the end of the programme. I think that breaks the magic of the whole show and I'd like to see that as a companion show elsewhere rather than kind of doing that straight before the credits. I think that that, that spoils the magic of it, but I can see why they want to puff their chest out and say, look at us, we've kind of created something incredible. What The thing that struck me about this, and this may be my cynical mind, but the thing that struck me about this is that it's almost so incredible that it now feels unreal. And I think that now, in the, in the last 10 years, we've had such a huge progression in CGI, in movies, and on television as well, that when you watch this, you kind of almost think, is this is this real? Is this just a bit of CGI? What's going on here? And just by coincidence, I was watching one of the Pixar shorts, Piper, which you know is their kind of experimental thing that they do to kind of prove that they can make water look really realistic or make fire look really realistic that they, they do once in a while. And I kind of watched that and then watched this and went, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years' time, Pixar could just make this in a, in a render room um, and you'll still get the same stories. It will still be fascinating. Um, and it almost, as a result... Take, I mean, it's nothing they can do about it, but it almost takes away the shine off it. You kind of expect it to be more incredible, but actually now as a more mature audience, we're a bit like, it's, we're even more cynical about it as a result. Isn't that praise indeed, though, that it yeah, actually absolutely. looks like a CGI? I mean, it, you know, because I can't get my head around the fact that some poor cameraman sits there for six months for a 30-second shot. I mean, that would do my nut. I'd be like, no, what am I doing here? It's not I'm, a good job interview for the Natural History Unit. It's not going to happen. No. No, but I think it's, and I think only the BBC can do this. And I think they do it so well. They push the boundaries every single time. And I think the rest of the broadcasts around the world, where it sells brilliantly to, and I think it's a real sort of... I know the BBC internationally often is, as it's traditionally has been known for the natural history stuff, and obviously they do a huge amount of other things, but it's great that they still continue to be the world leaders in doing this. And I think other channels probably look at this and go, we couldn't even come near to it. Are you a fan of animals on TV, Chris? Is this going to be a hit? Uh, There's a tiger in The New Walking Dead, and there's quite an impressive CGI elephant in episode two of The Crown. Uh, so I've had quite a few uh, animals on, on screen recently. Uh, natural history, slightly, I can't believe I'm going to say this, it slightly leaves me cold, Ooh. to be honest. Because I like things that speak. 
and say things and animals are rubbish at speaking. <laughs> so I don't know that I'll be making it an, a, an appointment to view. I have no doubt that it will, you know, about its technical excellence. And I think that, again, a bit like we sort of said, said with The Crown, if uh, something like Planet Earth, if you put the time and you put the money and you put the resource and you have talented, incredibly talented people at the top of their game, then you know what? You get something pretty special at the end. Lovely. But thank God that's still happening. Indeed. Planet Earth starts on BBC One on Sunday the 6th of November. And that's your lot for this episode. Thanks to Faraz, Chris, Steve, Miranda and Bruce. I'm Peter White and the producer is Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to Broadcast. Talking TV. Recorded at Maple Street Studios. 